Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. It is July 9th of 2011. This is Tom Harris, and we are live here from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. And it is beautiful today. It is sunny. It is cloudless, or almost cloudless. And I would say in the upper 70s, uh, Fahrenheit, of course, yeah, upper 70s on uh, <laughs> and Celsius would be just unbearably hot, wouldn't it be? But anyway... Um, it is fantastic. It's a beautiful, beautiful day outside. We have a nice breeze coming out. And it, it's just a, been a weird week this week, folks. It, it has really been a very strange week indeed. And, and a very busy week at that. And I, I think busy in a good way. So hopefully um, yeah, things are moving now. Because I actually had, um, hang on a second, I've got a message here from Bob, I don't know. Bob, I don't know, is having tri- uh, problems, um, pro- having trouble hearing us today. I don't know what that is. I know that we're going out. I can see that we're going out, and I can see that we're broadcasting. We don't just have, we don't just have white noise, which has been an occasional problem with, with Ustream. I hate Ustream. I, I <laughs> say that right off. Um, and... Um, so that that is what kind of what, what's going on. So uh, yeah. So hello, Bob, who's out there, even though she might be not be able to hear us quite at the moment. And uh, anyway, so hopefully that will solve Bob's problem, and she'll be listening to us live. It's been a while since since Bob has called in the show, so I hope she calls in. Anyway, uh, so I had a job interview this week, and it was one of those job interviews that makes you think I got this and I it's too soon to actually say anything about it but I walked out of that that interview it was on Wednesday I'm pretty sure yeah it was I think it was on Wednesday and thought to myself I got this thing I got this thing there's there's no question this is like a perfect fit but as the days have gone on I've come down to earth a bit. I've, I've become more realistic about my expectation as far as this goes. Is this something that, that I really have? I don't know. Because I think they still have other people that they're talking to. But, you know, it would be a, a very good opportunity. I'm not going to talk too much about it. and, and not, not because I think I'm going to jinx it. Because I don't want to, to let people have, or I don't want people to think that I believe in in that sort of jinx things. I really don't, but um, I, d- I think it's a good idea not to count your chickens before they're hatched, if you know what I mean. And it, but it really seems like a, a good fit as far as temperamentally, as far as the sort of job it is, as far as, as far as the pay goes, as far you know, everything seems to fit. So I'll, I I will be disappointed if I don't get it, but. If I don't get it, I mean, you know, there's other things in the fire as well. And I, I have had several contacts this week, especially later in the week, from people who want to talk to me. But they're more, they're, I, I guess I should, they're not more anything. They're less specific. They're, they're, they're more people who want to, you know, represent me and, and try to find work for me. And, and that's always a good thing, too. But uh, anyway, I'm getting a message here over Skype from Bob. I don't know. Yeah. And so Bob, I don't know, is with us now. Hey, hello to to uh, our lovely Bob, I don't know, slash fag ash lil in Hove. And uh, she might be the only one listening right now. (laughs) 
who knows no it looks like we have it looks like we have at least two people listening to the show so uh, hello to uh, bob and hello to probably to patrick out there uh, who uh, is my faithful listener who listens every week and uh, yeah we love that so anyway so i am going to talk a little bit more about ireland this week uh, because last week i got cut off and uh, as as Gary Burton might say, don't cut me off. Right. So I actually was kind of at the very end of the show last week, rushed and was trying to rush through the content. And I got through my six day bus tour thingy and and all the stuff that we saw in that. So I don't need to go back and repeat myself, but it was essentially a big circle from Dublin back to Dublin. By way of you know Car- the Ring of Kerry, Cork, um, Galway, up the west coast, uh, then over through Northern Ireland, and then uh, oh, we're getting a report, another report that the United Kingdom radio site is down. Yeah, um, okay, yeah, I, I guess there's a problem with the United Kingdom radio site, and uh, it, well, as many listeners as as the show gets live now. Uh, it's not going to matter much. I think we have everybody here. <laughs> yeah, it, um, obviously, if if the United Kingdom Radio website is down, you can go and listen to the podcast, or you can go over to Ustream and listen to it there. Um, and hopefully, things will be working out well. So, uh, so hello to everybody who's out there. Um, I'm hoping that uh, people will call this week. Uh, it's always good to have people call this week. Uh, but there's no need to call this week i mean i've got plenty of stuff that i can talk about um but anyway we were um uh, yeah like i was saying i we were, i was kind of rushed last week and trying to finish up the the ireland travelogue and i kind of gave short shrift to my solo travels uh that, that i took after the um uh the tour and because i actually went to connemara and i went on my own over to connemara um, we have uh, somebody saying hello. Nye, let's see, Nye and Lover says, hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Uh, and uh, I'm going to ask, uh, are you listening to the show? Are you actually listening to the show? Um, that's one thing, you know. Uh, th- there we go. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, all these all these bits and pieces, folks. It's all bits and pieces as uh as Chris Rudin might say. So anyway, uh, so I'm going to talk about Konamara. And I'm going to start out the show talking about Konamara. This shouldn't take too long. And it, that's always the problem with these travel shows is that, you know, if I have a lot of material to cover, you know, remember the, the, the trip took me two weeks to actually live you know <laughs> so I, I can't sum it up in an hour sometimes and that, and that's Kind of, kind of what's going on uh, uh, there. So, so I went back to Connemara. Now, Connemara is not a uh, a region. Connemara is an area, kind of like you remember last week. I talked about the Burren, which is a karst area on the west coast of Ireland. Very distinctive geological formations and so forth. Well, Connemara is an area much like the Burren is an area. It's actually the western part of County County Galway in the area of Connaught. 
And this is the heart of the Gaeltacht. And the Gaeltacht is the area of Ireland where people actually speak Gaelic as their first language. There's not that many people left who do. And it's a sparsely populated area. And as the result of that, it is a very beautiful area, very desolate, very wild area. But like everywhere in the British Isles, you see evidence of people everywhere. You can see the mark on the land. And, and Connemara used to have about 2 million people living there before the potato famine. And there was, a, you know, a lot of people just left. A lot of people left and a lot of them came to America. A lot of people went to England. There, there were, yeah. So, so basically this whole area was essentially depopulated back in the 1850s. Some of that may have been political in nature. I, I would I'd go so far as to say it probably was political in nature, a lot of it. Um, you know, driving the, the, the people off the land. Uh, now, the main town in Connemara is Clifton, which is still a pretty damn small town, a very, very small town. Now, one of the things about Connemara, and, it, and it's becoming less and less common in Ireland now, is that it's still one of the few places where you can still see the famine cottages. And if you don't know what I mean by the famine cottages, just go look at any coffee table book about Ireland. And you're going to see pictures of these abandoned houses, these little tiny little cottages that have been abandoned. They were abandoned a long time ago. They were abandoned back in the 1850s, 1840s. Yeah, you know, before electricity, before indoor plumbing, they were yeah you know, they were left by the people who went off to America, left off by the people who you know, may, oh maybe they just moved to a different part of Ireland or maybe they moved off to England, and they're becoming an endangered species really because even though they're very picturesque and they're very charming to the outsider, the Irish don't they don't romanticize them perhaps in the same way that we do. Yeah, you know, people who come from from Ireland and they they their families came to America and now their great grandchildren are in America. They're the ones who romanticize these little famine cottages. To the Irish, they're just a ruin. You know, it's just an old an old building. They you know, they just don't it's something that doesn't have any use. And what has happened over the last twenty years when you've had this whole you know Ireland was the Celtic tiger. This was you know, Ireland's bubble. That was their, their IT bubble, sort of like what happened back in the, the late 90s here in the States. And you had all this money pouring into Ireland, and a lot of people were buying houses. Well, there, there are certain rules in Ireland about how you can buy or build houses. And building houses is much, much cheaper to do if you build on the foundation of an older house. There, there's, there's certain tax you know, advantages. There, you know, it makes it you know, easier to actually have this, this foundation. So a lot of these old famine cottages were torn down in the 1990s and the early 2000s. And people would actually build new houses on the site of these old famine cottages. So that... So the Connemara is one of the few places where you still see a lot of these famine cottages, mostly because there were so many of them to begin with, and it was a, a fairly densely populated area back in the 1800s. But nowadays, you know, a few hundred thousand people in this whole area. It's not, it's not a big area at all. Just going to check the Skype messages here. We have uh, 
uh, Patrick is telling me that the UKR side is down. Yep, yep. Uh, and we have uh, Nye in Lover from Moscow is listening. So, so uh, he's. <laughs> listening. I asked him if he was listening. He said, "Yeah, how about it?" It's like cool. Yeah. Uh, we, well, we love having new listeners, so uh, yeah, we're always happy to have people listening to the show. So, um, so Connemara. What I decided to do was I was going to hike two days worth of the Western Way. Now, the Western Way is a long trail. It's a six-day, seven-day trail, and it starts in Oterard, which is in County Galway. It's not very far from Galway, actually. I think it's a it's like a twenty minute bus ride or something from from Galway City, and the the path skirts the western the western bank of Loch Corrib, up through Mom, over the Mom Turk Mountains, and you have some fantastic scenery there, up through Lanon, and then up into County Sligo. County Donegal, it goes on for for a long way, so it's a lot. So I just hiked the the County Galway section of the Western Way, and that's a two day hike. It's it's a it's a good solid two day hike as well, because there really aren't a lot of places along the way to stop. So on your first day, you're hiking something like eighteen miles, and on the second day, you're having to hike over twenty miles to get to get to the next town, and that's just because you know the towns are few and far between. And Oterard is where this starts. Now, Oterard is a tiny little town. It's about 1,500 people. And nice, it's a nice little town. There's really not a lot there. There's two pubs. There's a pie shop. There's a fish and chips place. There's a hotel. Out, just outside of Oterard, there's a youth hostel, and that's where I stayed when I was there. And it's all about, uh, you know, everything is within walking distance of each other. Even the youth hostel, which is kind of out on a farm, just outside of of the city limits to the sort of to west and it's Ultrard is is a one street town there's really not it's you know there's a crossroads there that's where the town is and you, there's the, you know some dirt roads that kind of go off and some people who live in those outlying areas it's where the more wealthy people live or the farmers yeah obviously you have the the farmers living out one side you have the wealthier people who want to live near the water because this is right near Loch Corum, remember. So you have, you know, sort of lakefront houses along the way. And when you hike out, you kind of hike through this residential area right along the way of these, uh, you know, and you can see they're, they're brand new houses. I mean, these are people who made their money, uh, you know, back in the 90s here in Ireland. And you're hiking along the, like I said, the, the western bank of Loch Corum. So you get a lot of views of the lock. In fact, you kind of get sick of it. You kind of get tired of looking at this lake. Uh, but there are islands out in the lake, and there's you know people out there fishing, and there's people you know it's it is there's actually you know, boats out there. It's not a very big lock as as these things go, but you you have on one side of you you have the lake, and on the other side you have mountains. And on the first day of the hike, you really don't have to hike through the mountains. You're kind of skirting, like I said, along the lakefront. And what happens, and just kind of the way the land is is built, you end up going through a lot of boggy areas, a lot of these sort of peat bogs. And as I said in the last episode, big black sucking bogs, because that's really what they're like. I happen to be there in a time of year when it was dry. 
and I would have had a hard time guessing that I was there during the dry season because, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, knee deep in, in muck. And I suppose at certain times of the year, you, you know, you're, you're, you're even deeper in muck. But so you're, you're hiking. To, and this is where the trail goes. This is like, you know, you're trying to kind of jump from, from, surf, from turf to turf, you know, and, and try not to get your, your feet too wet. And I was not, I would say, I was not really prepared for the hike in the way that I would normally prepare for a hike because I hadn't planned on where I was going to go next, you know what I'm saying? So I just had kind of my, uh, my normal hiking boots, which are kind of all-purpose hiking boots that I would, I would use them in the city or I would use them in the country. And I'm accustomed to hiking on these long-distance hiking trails like the Western Way, but it, you know, I wasn't used to you know, just hiking through this, this bog. And you know, there were a couple times when I nearly lost hiking boots. I mean, that's hard to do. I mean, it's really <laughs> – and there's a few places where you can sit. There was an area there. It used to be a peat farm. And you know, a lot of these old peat farms now are, are bogs because you know, they've taken the peat away, and now there's nothing to absorb the water. You know, it's just kind of this uh, muddy field. But there's some places there where there are buildings that still exist, and, and the buildings are built up a little bit higher. So there's a few places where you can kind of dry your feet, kind of rest, enjoy the scenery. And, and trust me, this is fantastic scenery, folks. This is uh, Nokria, the mountain Nokria. And you're, you're kind of looking westward down Loch Corrib because it's kind of, kind of gun-shaped. Like I say, it's like imagine a gun pointing to the west. That's probably not a very good description, but you know how that goes. And it, so it's kind of a maybe a boomerang, maybe kind of a boomerang shape, and uh, or a banana, <laughs> something curved, you know. <laughs> and um, so you go along this you know, this black sucking bog, and and it's not a long distance, but it takes forever because you're going through this mud and this muck, and and you're having to. You know, climb over fences every once in a while. There, there's a lot of uh, sheep there. There's a lot of not cattle, but um, you know, the, anything that can exist there. I saw goats. You know, it's a sort of the kind of like Scotland, and in a lot of ways, it's very much like Scotland. And maybe that's why Connemara resonated with me the way it did. I really enjoyed that hike, uh, even though my feet were were absolutely muddy and soaked. And at the end of the day, you know, just sore as hell. But eventually you get to Mom, and Mom is the, is the only town along the way in the, that first day. It, you don't pass any other towns. There's, there's just nothing there. You're really hiking through wasteland and old peat hags and old you know, you know, farms that were abandoned you know, back a century ago. So you get to Mom, and, it, and you're, it's genuinely a pleasure to arrive in this town. And, and Mom is, is a tiny little town. In fact, I couldn't even get population numbers for it. I, I looked it up uh, online. And it is, it's a, a T in the road. There's a little bridge, and then you get to this, uh, this tiny little town, very Irish-looking little town. There are a cluster of buildings just right smack in front of you at this T. There's a pub. There's a, a post office slash shop. And yeah, the way that a lot of these small towns, a lot of these buildings are, are multi-purpose. And that's, you know, there was a, a hotel which was closed. 
and that was it. Now, as it happens, I, I'd actually booked a B&B in advance. I, I knew that it was going to be hard to to find accommodation when I was there because I was there at the end of Oct- uh, the end of September, and a lot of the uh, the B&Bs and stuff are, are, are they're closed at that time of year because the, their tourist season really is in the high summer. It's it's actually in you know June, July, August, and I was there at the end of September. So at that point, a lot of the stuff has has closed down. So there was one B and B that I found who was willing to accommodate me. Great big, huge B and B. It's enormous uh, bed and breakfast there, and they, I guess they they get a lot of walkers there, so they're used to people with muddy boots and stuff. And this was actually a really really cool place, not because it was a great big B and B, and I had it all to myself, which I really did. I was the only person staying there, and there were like twelve rooms in this, you know, twelve single rooms in this place, and I was the only one there, but. When I got there, there was nobody there. It was it was like I was wondering, you know, am I in the right place? <laughs> it's, a, it's like a two and a half kilometer hike out of out of uh, out of Moab, you know, kind of eastern down the road, down the highway. And I, I ended up going there. I ended up getting there, and uh, so so I get to, I get to uh, to Moab, and I went and I had I had dinner. I, I it was late enough in the day that I, I had I had a meal, and. Uh, a drink in the pub before heading off to the bed and breakfast. And I headed off to the bed and breakfast, and there was nobody there. And I, I, I found out why later. I mean, they'd gone to a wedding or something in Clifton, and they you know, they just hadn't returned yet. But I got there, and there were these two very, very friendly dogs there. And they were, I forget what kind of dogs they were. I think one was a uh, like a sheepdog. Not not like an English sheepdog with all the hair, but you know, like, you know, like the, the black and white sheepdogs. And I forget what the other one was, but it's been too long. But they, they were very, very friendly dogs, very outgoing dogs. And they took me for a walk. And anybody who's never owned a dog may not get that dogs do this. That they, they, can, guide, they can guide you to, to going where they want to go. And the dogs decided they were going to show me around, <laughs> which I thought was, was excellent. You know, it set my bag down. I knew it would be safe there. It's the middle of nowhere. There's nobody there. And the dogs guided me down to the lock. They they actually kind of you know, ran ahead of me as I walked down. You know, I kind of headed down towards there, and they and they showed me which way to go. They they follow you know because they I guess they walk it every day. Uh, they they know the, the path, and uh, we actually took me down to the to the side of the lock and a beautiful beautiful view of the Hens Castle. Now the Hens Castle is a uh, is a ruin, and it's on an island in the lock. And you know, there's a there's a, a folk story about how the the Hens Castle was built and and why it fell down. And I, it's one of those silly Irish stories. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell it here. But uh, essentially, I, I could sum it up. I guess is that they the uh, family that owned it built it out on this island. And it's a very very small little island. You can tell what happened. I mean, it, it, the, they they built it on a peninsula and it eroded away. But um, the the uh, the legend goes that they built it on this island, and it was protecting them from the English. You know that the the English came into Ireland and they were trying to take over, and they were trying to besiege the castle, but they couldn't because there was a magical hen, and this hen had been enchanted by a witch, and the witch said, you know, as long as the hen is well taken care of, 
you know you don't don't eat the hen don't don't kill the hen and eat it then this castle will stand and supposedly the you know, it was the Normans that the king I guess it was the Normans and they said that the hen you know, lived way longer than an ordinary hen I mean because because as long as they left the, the hen alone the castle was unassailable and nobody could take over and finally the uh, the Normans blockaded the castle so food could not come and go from the castle and they were forced out of out of desperation and starvation to eat the hen and and the day they ate the hen the Normans battered down the walls and, and took over the castle and that's basically the story so I guess I, I lied I, I am going to tell the story on my show but th- so that's was kind of the story and, and this this ruin is still out there and you can see it and anyway the dogs they, they kind of led me down to the, to the side of the loch and you have this beautiful view of Hen's Castle and I guess they knew that that's what people came there to see you know I don't know that's not why I went there to see it but that the uh, that I was just staying overnight there and when we got back up the hill, there actually were people around and, and was able to get in and get in my room and all that stuff. Now, there's really not much to moan other than that. I and mean, it's just, you know, it's got a crossroads. It's got a B&B, a hotel that was closed. And that's pretty much all that there is there. So the second day of the trail was across mountains. It was a completely different kind of hiking. And it's amazing that on this Western way, you have these different types of hiking. And I'd love to do the whole trail. I mean, I'd love to do, you know, like all seven or eight days of this trail. If the, if the scenery and the terrain is as varied as it was in Connemara, then that would be ideal. I mean, that would be a fantastic walk. So anyway, so the next day you, you, you kind of hike up back over the bridge, kind of, kind of tr- retracing your steps for about a mile. And then you get back on the trail and the trail goes right up the side of a mountain. <laughs> and it's one of the Mom Turk mountains, and this is sort of a range of. They're not very high mountains, but you're going up and down all day, so it is. You know, it's a rough hike if you do 20 miles of it. But the um, at the top of this mountain near uh, near Mom or Mom, I, I, I'm getting contradictory pronunciations on this. Uh, maybe that's like like a lot of other Irish words i'm not sure but uh, some people pr- seem to pronounce it mom some people pronounce it mom or mom so i don't know but anyway there there's a a place at the top of this mountain called mom mean momin and it's a holy well and it's one of these holy sites that's been holy you know for thousands of years it's you know something the celts worshiped and then when the christians came and they decided oh well this is somewhere where saint patrick you know took a leak or something, and that, that is where, you know, it's a holy site because St. Patrick was here. They, they find ways to justify maintaining the holy status of, of this well over, over centuries, you know, and, and still kind of incorporate the original tradition in there. So it's, it's not much to see. It's kind of a little pond and kind of marshy, and there were cattails growing in it. And you really couldn't see any water, you know, sort of this marshy area called the Holy Well. And there's a chapel that was built up there in the Middle Ages, and, and you can't go in. But anyway, that's sort of, that's all that Mobin is. And a lot of the uh, you know, pilgrims will come up there to a place called uh, St. Patrick's Bed, uh, and uh, they'll do whatever they do. I don't know. Yeah, you know, what do pilgrims do when they go up St. Patrick's Mountain or when they go? I don't know. They they go to the top and then they go back down again. I I suppose this place is like that, except not as uh, not as um, 
uh, big, I guess. It's, it's not, it's, it, as mountains go, it's not that big. But uh, anyway, so coming down from the mountains, I, and, and trust me, if I really am getting to the end of this, folks. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going on and on, though, aren't I? Um, and that whole day, that a lot of that, that day was hiking up and down these small mountains, and the trail just kind of winds among them. Sometimes it goes down into a valley, and I'll be down in the valley for a while, and then I'll go up another mountain and down again. Um, and eventually you get to an area where they've done a lot of renovation on the trail. And what they did was they built a trail out of crushed gravel. And I don't like hiking necessarily on crushed gravel roads. It's not the, my favorite way of hiking. I'd rather have a unimproved trail, as it were, yeah, the earth being packed down by people hiking on it, than I would hike on a road. And that's what kind of what this felt like. It felt like hiking on a, on a gr- crushed gravel road. And you could see where they had just built it. It was brand new. But... In the course of this, I noticed that there were places where people had, had camped overnight, and some of the people were just starting to get up. I, you know, I leave generally pretty early in the morning when I have a full day of hiking ahead of me. And uh, so I left the B&B, I think, at, at 7.30 or something in the morning, very, very early. And about 10 o'clock, I got to this place uh, where, the, where the crushed gravel road was, and People were just starting to come out of their tents. You know, they were just just kind of just starting to to get their start of the day. And during this area, you know, there was a few areas where where it was an unimproved trail, you know, interspersed with these gravel roads. There were these uh, unimproved areas, and in one of these unimproved areas, I found something. I found a hand tool, napped out of flint. This was the first time that I found a microlith. Now, this is what they're called. They're called microliths, meaning small rock. But it's a piece of flint that was hand-shaped by humans back during the Stone Age. Now, in Ireland and also in the southern part of the British Isles, these things are everywhere. These little microliths, you can find them everywhere. It was the Stone Age equivalent of a leather man. You know, it's an all-purpose tool. They used them for all sorts of different things, from butchering animals to, you know, cutting down, you know, c- you know cutting cutting branches off of, of saplings so they can make a bow. You know, they, they used them for a lot of things. And I found one. It's not in very good condition. It was well-weathered, but you could see that it had, had been shaped by man. It wasn't like a random broken rock that you would just find. And it takes a practiced eye to find these. But that was my very first one, and I saw this, and I said, that looks like it was shaped by people. And I didn't know for sure that it was. I didn't really have any strong idea about it, but I picked it up, and I kept it, and I still have it now. Um, So I can say, you know, well, yeah, I kind of, you know, I pillaged it, you know. Um, But it certainly wasn't, you know, from an archaeological side, it wasn't in situ. And I had no idea at the time whether it really was a... um, a microlith or not. It was only later that, that I showed it to uh, my friend Paul, uh, who is an expert in these sorts of things, who, who was actually able to look at it and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a microlith. And you can see this is the edge where they used to scrape arrowheads on. This is the, or not arrowheads, arrow shafts. And this is the you know, part. He would show me all the different things that this thing could do. So it was really, really, really kind of cool. And uh, so anyway, as you go down through this area, uh, it's, uh, it goes into an area of, of woods, and you, you're kind of hiking through the forest for a couple of hours, and there's an area where there were, used to be a road. It used to be a highway. It looks back in the, I'd say, from the 
way the road was built, probably 1920s. It is kind of an old, you know, concrete bed road, and you see a lot of those here in the states too. Um, and uh, you kind of hike along that for a while, and eventually come out onto the modern highway. And this modern highway, it kind of winds through the mountains, and that and the trail just kind of is right alongside the road. Not my favorite kind of hiking, not that all that interesting. But you do get some views of Killary Harbor as you get closer to the sea. Now, Killary Harbor is interesting because it's Ireland's only fjord. It's a you know very long finger of water that 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 sticks you know, miles inland and. I, I I think that they've since reclassified some of the other, you know, bits and bobs on the coast of Ireland as being fjords. But at that time, yeah, I was told this is the only fjord in Ireland. And apparently, uh, back in World War II, it was a hiding place for German U-boats. And uh, they, they had talked about the uh, how the Irish, they, they kind of knew that this was going on, but they wouldn't do anything about it because, you know, the, the Irish were not involved in World War II. The, Ireland was a neutral country in World War II, so they, you know, they, they wouldn't help the Germans, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't you know, inform that the, the, the boats were there either. So, so apparently this was a hiding place for the, uh, the Germans during World War II. And at the end of Killary Harbor... You have the little town of Lanon, and Lanon, yeah, you know, of course it's it's famous because people have written plays about it. You know, the, it's like the, the the beauty queen of Lanon, and there's another one that was actually by the same author. And I think it was McGonagall, McDonald. I don't know. I, <laughs> I really should have done more research on that, but yeah, I wasn't planning on mentioning the plays. But and you and that's where the trail ends. That that section of the trail after you after you cross the the fjord you're up in county you're you're like county sligo and you're no no longer on the same trail and my map only went that far so the uh, that was where i ended the trail and it was a very very long day uh Lenon itself very small town uh i think there's something like 2000 people there it's uh it's it is kind of a, a port and crossroads and they have bus service there that goes to Shannon and to some other places, and that's why I ended my trail there. Now, um, I actually, you know, because I was there so late in the year, there were no uh, ho- there were no hostels or B and Bs open. They had all closed for the season, but there was a hotel, and I was able to to get a place in this hotel. So for my second to last night in Ireland, I had this beautiful hotel room it was it was expensive it was it was not cheap um and my feet were so sore <laughs> i remember uh i hobbled down to the restaurant yeah i got there fairly early you know it's like eight o'clock or something it was just after dark when i got there and um was actually uh yeah, you know, got dinner and had a drink at the bar, and I was going to go next door to the little pub that was next door. My feet were so sore that I uh, I just drank uh, a couple of pints at the uh, the hotel bar, and then retired to my room. and And my feet were so sore, and I was so stiff for the next uh, you know, week after I got back. That was a rough day, up and down mountains for twenty one miles. It was it was really terrible. Um. And and you know it, it taught me a lesson, 
and, and it was a lesson well learned that you have to be prepared. You have to have the right kind of footwear. You have to have, you know, you have to be in better shape and, uh, it, and be able to actually uh, go over the, these, uh, these mountains. Uh, so anyway, uh, so from Lenan, I took the bus. I took the bus. I didn't want to stay in Shannon for my last night in Ireland, and I'll tell you why. Shannon is a dump. Shannon is a town that was built up around the airport. The airport was there first. And it is a town with, yeah, there's a lot of cheap accommodation, but it is seedy, seedy, seedy little place. And I didn't want to stay in Shannon. So I decided instead of staying in Shannon to stay in Ennis. Now, Ennis is only about 15 miles up the road. It's not, a, it's not far at all. It's you know, a very quick bus ride up the road. And so I, I ended up staying in Ennis. Now, Ennis is a, is a larger town. It's about 25,000 people. And it's in County Clare. Uh, and, of course, in the province of Munster, which is where Shannon is as well. And very picturesque old town. Nice market town. Typical, very English-looking market town. And uh, I stayed at the the, the uh, Queen's Hotel in in Ennis, and not which is not as fancy as it sounds. It was not a uh, uh, expensive place, um, and apparently, in the Queen's Hotel was one of the places where James Joyce had written Ulysses. He had lived there for a short time, and uh, apparently was working on Ulysses during the time when he was living there at the Queen's Hotel. So that was where I, that was it. And then the next morning, I took the bus to Shannon Airport, came back to the states. So that was it. That that is Ireland. I'm finally done. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could have spent more time on it, but uh, anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. And uh, that that con- concludes that portion of the program. Now, my next travel show is going to be in. Uh, it's going to be about three weeks from now, probably, and it's going to be about Italy. And I have a feeling that that is going to be a two-parter, at least. It's going to be a lot. I have a lot to say about Italy because Italy is a place I've been to twice. And both times I, I was able to explore different areas of the country. So that'll be coming. And then after that, I'll be talking about Japan, folks. This is really, really cool. Uh, and Japan is going to be a multi-parter as well. So uh, now one of the things I was talking I, I meant to mention this earlier. I was talking about this before and I was talking about the job interview that I had last week. There's one drawback to that to that job, if I get that job. And that is that that there will be some weeks when I will have to work on Saturday. Which means that there will be some weeks when I will have to pre record the show. I you know I, I'm not gonna allow myself to be you know bumped off the air by a job come on you 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 guys know me better than that but what what may happen is that there may be some shows where i have to pre-record it and then you know place it up on the ukr site or whatever site it is then who, whoever whatever that is um i do intend to keep the show going even you know regardless but um there is, like I said, there's that possibility that I won't be able to do the show live every week because there will be some, some weekends when I'll actually be required to be at work. So, But I guess you know that's one of those things. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. There's no sense in fretting about it now 
because I don't even know if I have the job yet. So anyway, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take a real quick break, and I'm going to play a clip from Scott Mitchell. And uh, Scott has a, a discussion topic if people want to uh, to chime in on this. And I think I talked about this on a live show about a year ago, but I don't remember. Yeah, it's one of those things I really don't remember. So I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break and enjoy this clip from Scott. And if you have anything to say about it, you can Skype in or you can Skype chat, you know, just type it in and we'll talk to you in a minute. Okay, here's a uh, note that has nothing to do with uh, anything you covered in your podcast, but I think it's an interesting thing to comment on, sort of like the comments that we were passing around on <clears throat> when would you live in time and why, and uh, some of those comments, you know, if you had to be stranded somewhere in time, you propose that question. Well, I'm going to propose one to you also in kind of a science fiction vein. I was uh, listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which is uh, Treks and Sci-Fi, and, and the episode I just got done with, which is a fairly recent one made in March, was about Klingons. And I don't know why, I just got to thinking about the whole, you know, the more they were in, in you know, indulging themselves in the Klingons and their philosophy and their way of life, is how much, you know, they were so disconnected from logic and so connected to things other than logic, um, tradition, and honor, and, you know, the, and emotions having to do with being a warrior, you know, and being, uh, you know, you're going to be a terrible warrior and all that, or, you know, really, uh, terrible is not the word, but, a, you know, a fierce warrior, and uh, I thought, how that's kind of like the emotional side, you know, of human beings. And then I thought, well, they got this other race that's uh, the Vulcans, and they're very much different from that. Their philosophy is one of embracing logic and facts and and uh, suppressing all emotion, you know, uh, both what you might consider good emotions and bad emotions, uh, in lieu of logic being all what it's about. So on one hand, you've got Klingons that have, a you know, a lot of the traits of, uh, some human beings that are, you know, they don't want to think about what they're doing. They just do things because that's tradition, that's the way it's always been, or because it's about honor, and again, you know, you don't, shouldn't think about it, um, or because of cultural biases, all kinds of different cultures among human beings that make us do things that are totally not logical, but the people do them in the name of their culture, you know, and so on and so forth. On the other hand, you have the Vulcans who embrace this logic and, and lack of emotion and all of that and, and all that that involves. And so the question becomes, out of these two races, Tom Harris, which one would you choose if you had to choose one or the other to live as? <laughs> yeah, this is a Star Trek question, I realize it, but it doesn't have to be Star Trek. And and why? And if you want to put something added to that, you can say, well, if I had to, I'd choose this one, but really... There are some other races that have been on sidetrack, and here's one I particularly like, and you can tell me about that race and why you'd like to be of that particular race as kind of a secondary choice. So uh, I'll leave it at that. I'm not even going to give my choice yet. Maybe when I come back to make comments, I'll reveal that. See if you can guess what it would be. And uh, so that's it. Just kind of a fun question. 
All right. Well, thank you to Scott Mitchell for for supplying that uh, clip there. And he supplied it a long time ago, folks. It's been, uh, I think he sent that, I think when he said March, he meant March of 2010. So that it's because that's how far behind I am on some of these clips that I have. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so interesting question there. If you could live as one of these Star Trek races, which would it be? Hmm. Well, think about that, and you can chime in if you want, uh, either by email or you can c- call in or whatever. And I have a couple of Skype comments here. We have a Skype comment from Patrick, and Patrick is saying that uh, you think Shannon is a dump. Good job you didn't have to stay in Limerick. Uh, we, did, we didn't stay in Limerick, but we passed through there, and I think we had lunch there in Limerick. I think that was the night we stayed in Doolin. I don't really remember. I know that we uh, we passed through Limerick, though. Uh, and James Bates is saying, hello, James. Uh, he says, have you ever been to the Isle of Man? No, I haven't. And I would love to go to the Isle of Man. Um, he's saying, hope that all goes well with the job. It would be nice to hear your future travel shows. There will be more. Are you going to do today in history? I hope the United Kingdom website is sorted soon. Uh, yeah, me too. I, d- I had no idea that the United Kingdom radio website was not up at the moment so that we'll have to refer to uh to lee mills he could be working on it right now i mean there, there it's possible that that lee is actually uh taking time to work on it right now so anyway uh because james asked and because this was coming up anyway uh i'm going to go ahead with today in history all right july 9th in history there's not much today folks this will be a short one in 1401, the Mongol monarch Timur Lane destroyed Baghdad. In 1816, Argentina declared its independence from Spain. In 1944, the world's largest circus tent catches fire at Ringling Brothers Barman & Bailey's second performance in Hartford, Connecticut. 168 people die. You know, I found something out really interesting about this. Uh, the circus fire, just completely coincidentally, is that uh, a famous person was there at this as a boy. And uh, it was the actor uh, Charles Nelson Riley who actually survived this, this uh, circus fire. Uh, and he and his uh, friend were actually... Uh, that one of the fir- first people who noticed the fire and set the alarm, or yeah, actually started yelling out that there was a fire and uh, probably saved a lot of lives. Anyway, 1947, uh, Great Britain's Princess Elizabeth and Lieutenant Philip Mountbatten engaged, uh, they announced their engagement. Uh, in 1987, Colonel, o- Colonel Oliver North admitted to shredding Iran-Contra evidence. Uh, but, yeah, it's a really miscarriage of justice that he ended up not spending any time in prison. Uh, 1997, Mike Tyson is banned from boxing for uh, biting Evander Holyfield's ear. Famous birthdays on July 9th include Elias Howe, who was born in Spencer, Massachusetts in 1819. He was the inventor of the sewing machine. In 1856, Nikola Tesla was born in Croatia. Uh, He was an electrical engineer and inventor. He invented the Tesla coil, worked for Edison for for decades, and a lot of his ideas were uh, stolen by uh, Thomas Edison. Uh, In 1901, romance author Barbara Cartland was born. 
1916, former British Prime Minister Edward Heath was Prime Minister from 1970 to 1974, was born. 1932, Don Rumsfeld, uh, uh, he used to be the Secretary of Defense here uh, in America. Uh, 1932, John Paul Getty II, uh, who is a British oil magnate, was born. Uh, 1937, artist David Hockney was born in Bradford, England. In 1945, science fiction author Dean R. Coots was born. 1952, schmaltzy pianist John Tesh was born in Garden City, New York. 1956, actor Tom Hanks uh, from Forrest Gump, among many other things. Uh, in 1956, vocalist from Soft Cell Mark Almond was born. And in 1964, another rock and roll birthday, Courtney Love was born. Uh, and uh, in 1976, Fred Savage from The Wonder Years. And that is Today in History. Now we have a few more uh, comments coming in here on Skype. Bob I don't know is saying, we'll have to think about what race she wants to be. But the first thoughts is she wouldn't mind being Quark's Moogie. <laughs> For those of you who don't uh, uh, or aren't familiar with Star Trek, that's really funny. And uh, John says the UKR website is uh, is back up. Okay, fantastic. And uh, uh, Bob and I was saying that her reasons for being his mother is that she's intelligent and loves going against authority. Yeah, she comes from a race that are uh, very uh, patriarchal, and women have a you know like slave class. Uh, they're treated like slaves there, and, and uh, Quark's mother is, you know, she she's considered to be outrageously uh, radical because she actually wears clothes and, and speaks. Um, Cyber John is saying, hello, Cyber John. This is the first time you've listened to me. Um, Cyber John is saying that the site is working again, and uh, she says that, or he says, sorry, that uh, he would choose to be a Romulan because Tasha Yar does it for him. Well, she wasn't a Romulan, was she? No. No, Tashiar wasn't a Romulan. Um, Cyber John, are you going to be on tomorrow? Let us know, uh, because uh, Cyber John has been covering for Suko, who is still on vacation, and, and she does, normally does a show here, uh, and it's at 5 p.m. UK time here on United Kingdom Radio on Sunday. And uh, I'm waiting to... Oh, it looks like he's responding to me. Uh, so we'll see if, uh, if uh, Cyber John will be on uh, tomorrow here on UKR or not. Um, so anyway, uh, so going going back. Um, oh, okay. So Cyber John saying he just rebuilt his laptop hard drive, so they should be good to go. Okay, so Cyber John will be on tomorrow at eleven. Uh, sorry, eleven. It'll be eleven a.m. if you're here in Chicago. If you are in the UK, it'll be at uh, five p.m. UK time, and uh, you can listen to Cyber John covering for Suko. Cyber John has sort of become Suko's co-host over the last. Uh, few months so fantastic uh anyway so now i would like to think that most of my listeners most of my listeners on the show would tend more towards the vulcan side than towards the klingon side on the other hand you know i can see the appeal of both because the you know it's always easy to live in a world that doesn't have a lot of, of ambiguity in it. And I, w- I get the impression that Vulcans live in a world that is full of ambiguity. But it, it's, it takes effort to live in that kind of a world. 
and the Klingons, you know, they they have a very straightforward. It's either you know, they they rule the the, the entire universe by their passions. By by you know, by their impulse. I mean, they, they they I know that originally they were portrayed as being evil, but later, you know, obviously they became much more complex. They decided they were. It was almost like a samurai society, and honor it was was the big thing, and that's what that's what you stro- you strove to have honor. And it, you know, if they were they weren't evil. They were just different, and that that was, I liked that about the next generation. I mean, I liked the fact that you know that they didn't have a lot of villains that were. Um, Sort of one-dimensional. Sorry about that, folks. Um, Bob, I don't know, is saying it's a natural reaction for Klingons, uh, for humans to act more like Klingons. I think that's true. I think that's true. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, that uh, Scott didn't point out is that you know, the humans are way more like Klingons than they are like Vulcans. And I think it's one of the reasons why they hated the Klingons as much as they did is because they could see themselves and the things that you know, but the Klingons in the in the original Star Trek, they were kind of portrayed as being sort of vaguely Asiatic. Uh, you know, they, they talked about the Klingon Empire, but they you know there were certain aspects of communism. You know, and, and of course it was the 1960s, and they had to everything was in code. If they wanted to talk about anything that was at all controversial, they had to kind of make it in code. I would like to think that. Um, I'm closer to a Vulcan than I am to a Klingon, but see, I, I again, I can't. I don't think I'd be able to restrain my emotions in the way that a Vulcan does. So I guess I would still have to be human. I yeah, that I think that that would that would be my uh, my default race as far as the Star Trek universe. Uh, either that or a Tribble. I, I'd love to be a Tribble. You know, I mean cute and furry and make a pleasant sound and and people would adore me and and then yeah i could just eat all day and and breed all day you know <laughs> no i don't want to be a trouble come on come on uh, bob i don't know says uh, you get you beat me <laughs> she was gonna bring that up too huh uh all right so uh i have an email Amazingly enough, I have an email, uh, and we're going to cover this email. And this came in on, on July 1st, and I, I remember I cleared this email, and I, I thought that it was a uh, comment for Suko's show, but it, it was actually a comment for my show, amazingly enough. Uh, and this is a, a guy called Harold Remack. I don't know who this is, but uh, wrote to, to me on, on July 1st. And this is in regard to the discussion we had a few weeks ago about gay marriage now being legal in New York. And uh, he saying, reading the PDF of the ruling, the judge's ruling, of course, that made, that made marriage legal in New York, I got a chuckle out of the judge's synopsis of the Proposition 8 supporters' arguments. And the, the, this argument was that, that uh, uh, marriage should be restricted to, to between a man and a woman because, quote, marriage promotes promote stability in relationships between a man plus a woman due to the fact that they naturally and at times unintentionally generate young children. <laughs> That's funny. You know, and, and it's a stupid argument. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the, the Proposition 8 people, their, their whole argument is, well, gay people can't bear children, therefore, you know, they shouldn't be able to get married. 
So it's, well, of course, that eliminates people who are naturally infertile and eliminates old people. For, you know, there, there's a lot of stupid arguments being made against gay marriage. Like I said, you know, I don't really have a horse in that race. I don't really, I don't feel the need to get married. I don't, you know, I don't want to get married again. I was married back in the 80s. You know, I, I, I got married in 1981 and was married until 1994. And it's not a secret, but it's not something that I talk about much on the show that I was married for 12 and a half years. And one of the reasons why I don't talk about it much is because my ex-wife actually does occasionally listen to the show. Uh, and I don't want to say anything that, that may come off as being kind of snarky or or whatever. And, I, and so I just choose not to talk about it. Uh, Cyber John is saying, uh, my mistake, Tasha had a half-Romulan daughter played by the same actress. Oh, I forgot all about that. I think I was trying to forget that. <laughs> um I forgot about that time travel story thing. Yeah, um, there was a alternate universe Tasha Yar, who ended up in the past in the Next Generation history, and and ended up uh, yeah producing a child uh, with a Romulan. Um, Star Trek seems to be enjoyed mostly by English and American audiences. I work with with many international scientists, and none seem to know who Spock is. It was our best secret. Um, and also, Spock was voted number one American's housewife choice. Uh, Kirk came in third. That's that's interesting. Uh, well, Kirk is kind of a philanderer, though, isn't he? I mean, I mean, would you trust James Kirk to to stay faithful to you? I I don't think so. Yeah, I I can understand that. I can totally understand that. And Spock seems uh, much more reliable. Yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, my, one of one of my uh, classmates back in high school nicknamed me Spock. This was this is back, uh, uh, yeah, back when I was in high school. Uh, Bob, I don't know, was saying Picard is the sexy one. I I get that. I know a lot of other I know a lot of other guys don't get that. You know, it's like, well, what what about him? You know, what, what is there about him that's so sexy? You know, but I do get that. Um, it's not my type, but you know. Neither is Kirk, I mean, for that matter. Um, but I don't want to go there. I don't even want to go. Which which Star Trek captain is my type? Oh, I don't even want to go there. Uh, that That's just geeky as hell. All right. So, uh, oh, apart from everything else, she says Picard has humor. Well, Kirk has humor, too. Uh, it's a different kind of humor, though. One of the things that, uh, that I like about, about William Shatner's portrayal um, is to... Uh, you know, he does include a lot of humor in Kirk, but he has a very different kind of sense of humor. Uh, anyway, uh, we're getting to the end of the show, folks. Got to go. Uh, we will be back next week, and we're going to talk about atheism next week. That'll be that'll be exciting. Uh, so we're going to talk about that next week. And as always, if you want to write, uh, Tom at TomHarrisUSA.com, or indeed you can Skype in to the show next week. Anyway, this is Tom in Chicago, Illinois, signing off. We'll see you next week.